It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast. I hope you are having a great time preparing to celebrate the coming of the Christ into the world, the changing of all things that we celebrate every year at this time. You know, what amazes me is that the year flees by so quickly that before you know it, we're already going past Christmas into the summer, and then before you know it, we're back to Christmas again. Now, last week I mentioned those beautiful Christmas lights and the way they reflect the light that came into the world on that very first Christmas. Now, along with the bright lights, I really have become aware this year of all the Christmas songs. I always hear them in the background. I always hear the melody. I always hear the music. And sometimes when you are so familiar with something, you get so used to it, you stop actually hearing it and you actually begin to ignore the message that they carry. If we ignore the message of Christmas carols, we ignore everything. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Think about those words. We know the tomb. We can hum it, sing it, but we don't think about the world, about the words themselves. We three kings of Orient are. We think about that song, yet it tells the journey that men took to find this newborn king, this king of the Jews, this one who was foretold for so many centuries. It's amazing that if we stop listening to the words of our Christmas carols, then they become just so much background noise. Now, you know, just like Christmas carols, the messages that Christians carry in their heart, in their mind, in their communications, they are just as vital to carrying on the Christmas story. I can't imagine a Christmas without Christmas carols. At the same time, I can't imagine Christmas having any meaning if not for the testimony of the tens of thousands of Christians out there who make it a point to say, Merry Christmas. We don't mean to insult anybody or or to leave anybody out, but we want to say, isn't it wonderful? We celebrate the coming of the Messiah into the world. It's really so important to Christmas that Christians stand up and be proud of this one incredible moment in history when light was birthed into the darkness. Now you don't, just like those Christmas carols, uh, believers being out there, being present, singing, caroling, testifying, writing Christmas songs, new ones. It's so important because you know what? You and I, fellow believers, we have a message to share with the nations. We have a message to share with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers. We have something to tell them beyond, hey, have a great couple days off and we'll see you next year. We have something more important than that. When things are going wrong in the world and, and people are kind of strapped and stressed, we can say to them, hey, joy to the world, man. The Lord has come. 
Let earth receive her king. We can say that with a full heart because we believe and we know who has come on those days. Now, you know what? If you want to be a Christian and you want to be part of what's happening in the world today, then I have three questions for you to answer today. Three questions for you to answer, and it will help you put Christmas in perspective. And it's these three questions right here that will help you tell the story of Christmas. The first question I want to ask you, the first question you as a believer must answer is this. Who are you? Who are you? We all have names. We have IDs. We have job descriptions. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I, I work in a store. I, I drive a truck. What is it that you you really are? Because it's more than just your job. It's your essence as a human being. Consider this and you'll see what I mean. John chapter 1, verse 19. Who are you? It says this. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, which John is this? This is John the baptizer. John the Baptist who's out there doing what God sent him to do. They said, who are you? He did not deny but confessed, I am not the Messiah. There's a lot of people out there who would really gain a lot by understanding this line. You are not the Messiah. You are not the one that's going to save the world, but you're going to point people to the one who can save the world, who can redeem the lost, who can help people find meaning and importance in their own life. Verse 21, what then? They ask him, are you Elijah? I am not. He said, are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then? Now, what are they talking about right here? He says, I am not the Messiah. Say, okay, are you Elijah? Because the Jews believed very firmly that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, as it's called in the Old Testament, that a, a prophet like Elijah or even Elijah himself would return. And he says, no, I am not Elijah. Even though Jesus told us later after John's death, he said, if you can accept it, then he was returning in the spirit of Elijah, that prophetic spirit calling people to repent, calling people to return to God. He says, are you the prophet? What are they talking about right there? In the Old Testament, they said that a prophet like Moses would come to Israel. So who is the prophet like Moses, the one to lead them out of captivity to lead them into freedom. That is the Jesus, of course, that is our Lord. He is the prophet who will return us back to God. It wasn't uh, Moses and it wasn't John the Baptist. It was one who is yet to come. He says, no, he answered. Who are you then? They ask. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, this is a very familiar story. I'm going to repeat it to you right here, but I want to add a little bit to this, and I want to add a question to it. Are you ready? Here we go. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Israel had turned against God. They had sinned into idolatry and they had been suffering for it. But now there was coming an end to that time of separation. He said, your, your iniquity is pardoned. 
that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and rough places made into a plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Wow, what does this mean? What does it actually mean? I understand from some authors who have studied ancient history way better than I have that there was a tradition that some kings, some rulers would visit the outlying places of their rule. They would go to these outlying countries and places and before they went, since they were being carried on a, on a sedan chair or they were being transported on carts, that they wanted the trip to be as easy and comfortable for the king as possible. So they would send out little crews, little construction crews, and they would literally take the highways, the, the open roads, and they would flatten them out. They would remove the boulders, remove the stones, sweep them clean. If a, if a hill was too high, they would bring it down. If, a, if there was too much of a valley or a dip by a river, they would fill it in. They would make the path for the king as smooth as possible. That's what we do, church. We are there to make the path of the king smooth, not for his comfort, but to make it possible for him to come to all people, for us to bring that image of the Savior to them. That's what John the Baptist was doing. He was saying to people, hey, this Messiah that we've been waiting for, he's coming back. Get ready. Get ready. Do you know who you are? Do you know exactly what your mission in life is? Let me put it to you this way. Every Christian has a duty both to the church and to the world. Our duty to the church is to equip and strengthen fellow believers to do what God calls them to do, but our mission to the world is to make Jesus known, to tell them that today is the acceptable hour of salvation. Today could be the day when Jesus comes again and he will come for those who have accepted him. Our job is to let people know, hey, the king is coming back. And you do want to be ready because when he comes, he will take with him all of those who belong to him. And after that day will come the terrible dark days of the tribulation. And we don't want anyone that we know, no one that we love to go through those terrible, horrible days. We don't want that. So we do everything we can to make them aware, make them alert to what's actually happening in the world out there. So that's exactly what it was that John the Baptist was doing. He was trying to wake up Israel to their sin. He was trying to get them to repent so their hearts would be open, their hearts would be prepared. So there's the very first question. Who are you, church? Who are you? You are a child of God. You are a bearer of a message. You are a voice of one crying in the wilderness, in a city, in a town, in a country. You are a voice sounding off Make straight the way of the Lord. Get yourself ready to receive the King of Glory. That's who we are. We're not just workers. We're not just people who work in stores or factories. We're not just people who work in offices. We are ambassadors for a holy God. We are the ones who, who, who reach out to the world. That's who you are, church. See yourself as, your, as what you are meant to be. The second question I have is this. What are you doing? 
Now, follow this because it's really so incredible that this is the next thing that they said to John as he's working. So John 1, 24. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, they asked John, why do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? He said, I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now you see that answer to that question. They're saying, hey, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. So what are you doing out here, son? What are you doing out here baptizing these people? And he said, he says, I'm not the one you're looking for, but the one you're looking for is coming. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal straps. If the king's shoes had become untied, there was a trusted person to kneel down and to grab those sandal straps, to, re to reattach them, to retie them, to, to put them back where they belong. But you couldn't just approach the king. You had to be one who was authorized to come near the king to serve him. And John just says, hey, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. The one you're looking for, you don't know him yet, but he's coming. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal straps, but he's coming. So that's what I'm doing. I'm getting you ready. I think that's pretty much an amazing concept. If you take a look at it, uh, Luke 1, 76 through 79 is exactly what we talked about earlier. And that's when the angel of the Lord appeared. He said in Luke uh, 1, 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is what was told to the father of John the Baptist. This is what was told about the child who would magically come from two people who were old and barren. Never think that you are too old to serve God. You are not too old. You are not barren. If the message of Christ brought you to salvation. The message of Christ is still in you and you can still share it. You can still pass it on. You are vital. You are not uh, a man or woman waiting to die. You have a mission. You have something to do and that is to tell people what's about to happen. Now in this particular portion, um, John's, um, John's job, John the Baptist's job description, that was hard to say, was to wake people up. Now, Matthew Henry was a 17th century minister, but he also wrote a massive commentary on the entire Bible. He ties this passage to Psalm 24. Let me read Psalm 24 to you. It says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Talking about the majestic gates of the city, the majestic gates of the human heart. Who is the King of glory? Yahweh strong and mighty, Yahweh mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory. And then it ends with the word Selah. If you are in the Psalms and you see a passage, and then you see the word Selah, it means stop and ponder.
Stop and think about what that means. You ancient gates, you old people, you, you people who are bowed over with worry and age and concern, lift up your head. Look, he is coming. He is coming to bring salvation and joy and restoration to whosoever will look up into his face and plead for his salvation. Do you, Christian, know what you're supposed to be doing? You know, many of us think that our job, our day-to-day -day job, is what we're to be about. And that's very important. Our, our, our occupation is, is very important. But you know what? Our vocation, the thing we are called to do by God, that is even more important. Now, I don't want you to go out there and quit your job and just start preaching itinerantly. I don't recommend that at all. What I think is, in the place where you are, encountering the people that you encounter, you can be a voice of God Almighty by saying, hey, lift up your heads, you broken people. Lift up your face and see what's happening. Uh, there's an old song by a band named Hot Tuna. Hot Tuna was the remnants of Jefferson Airplane. And uh, one of their songs was called Mr. Blue, Mr. Blue Light, I believe. It's an old song. And he said, uh, every morning I find a reason to lift my face up to the light. I know that feeling. You, you wake up in the morning and you stare out at the city and you lift up your face looking for a reason to go on, a reason to keep moving. And when you get older, sometimes the aches and pains of age make you want to look down and quit looking up. But look up, believer. There is still time for us to do what is necessary in the world today. And we are such a vital part of everything that God is doing. It's not just pastors or evangelists or televangelists or people who travel. They, they, they are doing what God called them to do. And I say, God bless them. But the average Christian, the person touched by grace, we have such a mission, my friends. And our job never ends until the Lord calls us home. So the very first thing I said is, you know, who are you? Do you know who you are in the kingdom of heaven? Do you know your place in that kingdom? Second thing, what are you doing? Do you know your job? Do you know your calling? Do you know your, your, your mission in this world? It's not just to make money or, or, or to, or to get a, a, um, something to give your kids after you're gone. You know, you're not just leaving a legacy of wealth. You're leaving a legacy of faith with all those people that you encounter. You have to know what you're supposed to be doing. John knew, and he stayed with it right to the end. The very third question I have for you right here, and we're going to keep going, is this. What do you know? Not what do you think. But what do you know? A lot of people spend a lot of time talking about what they think. Well, I think this and I think that and I think this thing over here and so-and-so said this and I think they're right. You can spend a whole lifetime thinking about stuff. But what do you, believer, actually know to be true? Let me show you what you know. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Uh, by the way, by the Jewish mindset, that would be impossible. John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. They were cousins, you know, because Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. So they were cousins, 
But John was older. John had entered this calling of ministry old before Jesus. So in, in all in all actuality, he should have been the senior member in this relationship. He should have been the one that Jesus looked up to. He should have been the one that Jesus went to. But John realizes, realizes who he is. And you're going to see why in just a minute. It's very, it's, it's amazing to me how God does things, how God reveals things. But he says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I told you about. After him becomes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Remember, Jesus often said, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And he used, he used the expression that was reserved for the God of Israel. And uh, in Greek, it would be the ego ami. In Hebrew, it would have been Yahweh. Uh, I am that I am. And it's just amazing to me that, uh, that that's how he identified him. He says, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I don't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified. Now, here you go. What do you know? What do you know? what you can testify to. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he, the Holy Spirit, not a thing, not an it, but a he, he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait, what happened here? Did something go on that we missed? John jumps ahead a little bit, but Matthew goes back and tells us exactly what happened. Oh, by the way, if you'll see right here in this passage, all those people who tell you, oh, um, there's no such thing as a trinity. The, the Bible never mentions a trinity, a, a three-part Godhead. Right there it just did. The Father speaks, the Son's in the water, and the Spirit descends like a dove. It didn't say the Spirit was a dove. It descended like a dove and came to rest on Jesus. All three parts of the Godhead present at one time in the full view of humanity. Such an amazing moment it must have been. And it wasn't until that happened that John actually knew his cousin was the Messiah. You see, maybe his mom Elizabeth had told him, hey, you know, when your Aunt Mary came by and you jumped around inside my belly and, and I know that this is somehow a, a man anointed by God. But you know, when you're raised with your cousins and you're six months older, maybe a little bigger, a little beefier, you sometimes can't imagine that this is the person God's going to use. This is the one that God will use. But when he saw that, and, and God had revealed to him, when you see the Spirit come down, that is the one. That is my son. That is the one who will come for Israel. He will be the Messiah. And when John saw it, John was changed. When you encounter Jesus Christ, you will be changed. I do not doubt anything that the Word of God tells me. All of my education tells me, doubt this, doubt this, look for another explanation. But no. Everything about everything I've read in the Bible says this is the truth of God. There is no reason to doubt it, no reason to question it, no reason to do anything but believe it and put it into effect in my life. 
It's amazing to me. Consider this, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now John would have prevented him saying, Whoa, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? He recognized in Jesus something powerful, something special. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I'll explain that in a minute. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Such a powerful moment. And I feel bad for those who do not believe in the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, they believe the Holy Spirit is just a force, uh, you know, a Star Wars thing. I don't know what they think. But um, he is the person, and he descended so that all three parts of the Trinity were present at one time in the full view of all who were there. Now, you know, it says that he was baptized. Why? I've heard from uh, a number of people, and I believe this was F.B. Meyer who said it. F.B. Meyer said he was baptized so that he might assume the sinner's guilt. Later on that cross, he will take all that sin upon himself. Yet he's followed the tradition. He has been baptized for the, for the remission of sin and standing with him and for him and identifying himself with human beings. Then he was anointed by the Spirit and attested by the Father's voice, Probably only John and Jesus were aware of this celestial tokens. Yeah, I, I just think it's amazing that John saw it because God allowed him to see it. Jesus was part of it because he already knew the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's phenomenal to me that we doubt so much when if we would just read the Word of God and believe it, it would remove so many questions. Think about this. John, John's baptismal ministry was like a voice shouting to Israel. And the believing remnant of Israel responded. Those who came to the river to be baptized by John, those who came for the remission of sin, to, to beg God's forgiveness for the way Israel had behaved and the way they had lived, they responded and they were ready for the Messiah. We're going to see this next week, and it's very exciting. It's very, very exciting. This was an act of righteousness on the part of Jesus, who became as to flesh an Israelite. He, be, he came in the, in, the, in the fleshly image of an Israelite to take his place, and in so doing, he removed the sin of the entire human race. And he, he stood in that moment, in that water, with the believing remnant of Israel. I think it's amazing that this is exactly what our God does. Yet we read through John chapter 1 so quickly. We miss these little parts, these little insights into who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, the care, the meticulous care that was taken so that all of this could happen as it was meant to. Oh, my friends, I, I am excited to get on with chapter 1 and finish it up next Sunday. But for right now, let me wish you again a Merry Christmas. May the Spirit of God pour down on your family. May your experience in church and in worship be phenomenal. May you be reminded of all of the things that God did just to redeem lost mankind. It started with that baby in the manger. It continued 
with the perfect Son of God standing in a river to be baptized, and it found its conclusion on the cross on a place called Golgotha or Calvary. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May God give you a Christmas to be remembered. And if we're all here next week, I'll talk to you then. God bless. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial-free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial-free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless, and remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.